Hello listeners, welcome to Explore FI Canada, where we sit at the round table with Canadians and share their thoughts, ideas and personal journeys to financial independence. Thanks to Matt McKeever for sponsoring Explore FI Canada. Matt is a Canadian investor, CPA, entrepreneur and real estate expert who achieved FIRE at age 31. Do us a favor and check out his YouTube channel by searching Matt McKeever or using the link in our show notes. Hello again, listeners. TGIF, Chrissy. Yes, it's finally Friday and it's a sunny Friday here. <laughs> well, it's a little smoky actually over here on the island, but you know what? We can say TGIF because we always release on a Friday too. So what they're going to be listening to this, it's going to be Friday. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Works in our favor. It does. Of all recordings now are on Fridays, just so I don't have to get confused. <laughs> All right. Well, today we have the round table again. We've got a couple seats open and we invited a couple guests on. First of all, we reached out to our listeners, Chrissy. And what did we ask them? We asked them, do you have any mortgage specific Smith Maneuver questions? Because we are having two special guests, not just one, but two to answer the questions today. Yeah, and I think it was important to reach out because we see lots of posts and there are lots of questions out there. And there's maybe some a little bit of misunderstanding too on the Plain Jane Smith Maneuver and what some of the accelerators are. So it is our pleasure to welcome Robinson Smith back on the show, the charming spokesperson himself, the man, the myth, the author of Master Your Mortgage for Financial Freedom. Robinson, welcome back to the show. Okay, well, you've given me a lot to live up to. (laughs) (laughs) It's a pleasure to be here, guys. Happy to see you guys again. Yeah, thanks. And you brought along another expert with you, which is going to help with a lot of these questions too. You have a mortgage broker expert, Keaton. Welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us and helping us out and helping our listeners learn some more today. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, I think maybe what we'll do is just start off with Robinson uh, giving us a quick rundown of the basics here before we get into those listener questions. What do you think? Yeah, happy to do that. I I recall last time I was on this podcast, we we kind of skipped over the the basics of the Smith Maneuver strategy because uh, Mr. Money Mechanic, you and I had done uh, a more in-depth podcast on FI Garage. And so you had directed listeners to go over there. And for any of those who didn't, I thought it would be nice just to give some basics on on this podcast, not take too long. So basically, the Smith Maneuver is a financial strategy to convert the non-deductible mortgage interest uh, of a principal residence into deductible interest. And a number of key things happen while we're doing this. The basic process of mortgage conversion requires that, firstly, we borrow with the reasonable expectation of generating income. So we're borrowing to invest. That means we're buying appreciating assets. We're increasing our our wealth as we move through this conversion process of our mortgage. And because we're borrowing to invest, we're generating tax refunds. We're generating tax relief, which on at the very least an annual basis, we can take these tax refunds that otherwise we would not have received and apply them as a prepayment against the mortgage. So this is new money from the government, originally ours, but they send us some back. So we get to be rid of this non-deductible, this relatively expensive non-deductible mortgage debt much sooner than otherwise possible. So a number of good things happen simultaneously. We're, we're investing for our future, we're reducing our tax bill, and we're eliminating this expensive non-deductible debt much sooner. And that's the fundamental process of the Smith Maneuver. Now, it requires uh, a specific type of mortgage, and Keaton will, will get a bit more into that, But effectively, the strategy was developed by my father back in the mid-80s, and he put his private clients into it for about 15 years before he published his book uh, in 2002. 
I subsequently uh, wrote my own version in 2019. It came out last November. But really what, what I'm trying to do now is, is get out to Canadian homeowners and speak to them about you know the difficulties we all face. We've got high taxes. The average Canadian pays around half of their total income in taxes. So more than clothing and food and shelter combined, the basic necessities of survival. You know, we've got inadequate pensions, we've got mortgage expense, we've got braces for the kids, inflation, you know. So a lot of difficult times out there for Canadians, but there is help. You know, you, you do your research, you you read up, you find these different strategies, including the Smith Maneuver, and there is, there is help out there. And, and my goal right now is to make sure that Canadian homeowners are aware of this strategy. That's where I'm at these days. That's what I'm doing. Uh, I'm developing a Smith Maneuver certified professional network across Canada of various financial professionals. And the reason we've got Keaton here today is uh, not only is he a very handsome man, but he also <laughs> is one of our Smith Maneuver certified professionals. So he knows a lot about the strategy and mortgages, and he's doing a lot of good, helping a lot of people get into the right type of product. So basically what we aim to do is have Canadian homeowners start saving now so they can take advantage of compound growth rather than all of their dollars going simply to the mortgage and uh, not being able to be utilized for investment purposes. We can do both. We can pay down our mortgage and we can invest. We can reduce our tax bill and live life happily ever after. That's fantastic. And I think now is also a good time for Keaton to introduce himself and tell us a little bit more about uh, how he got involved with Smith Maneuver Mortgages specifically and uh, what his expertise is to allow him to help guide people in the Smith Maneuver. Yeah, well, thanks again for having me, guys. So I'm a mortgage broker, and I've been in the industry for about six years. I started out as an unlicensed assistant on a team, and uh, when I left, I was the number two for the team handling the sales side, and my business partner, Scott Brennan, was handling all the back-end underwriting. We were actually ranked 18th in Canada for all brokers, and about 70% of our clients are real estate investors. So this is the team that we left from. Since then, we've branched off and we've focused working with self-employed and investment clients, as well as owner-occupied people trying to build towards their retirement and long-term goals. I actually came across the Smith Maneuver, believe it or not, a few years ago when Rob Smith showed up with another mortgage broker at an event with a developer that we worked with when I was on the old team. And I wasn't very impressed that there was this mortgage broker speaking on stage and then this uh, tall man with this dry sense of humor got up there and <laughs> my life changed. In a sense, like I'd heard of the Smith Maneuver, I was familiar with clients doing leveraged investing to buy investment properties, but the the power of being able to do it incrementally instead of pay down your mortgage or $100,000, $200,000, potentially buy a property, rinse and repeat. The growth from doing it in little bite-sized pieces and the consistency of it was really what caught me off guard and I started to dig into it and eventually Rob and I connected and uh, I, I think we're basically married now, so. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, I've, I've regretted that meeting ever since. <laughs> I'm still waiting for my ring. <laughs> you're going to be waiting for a while. Well, Keaton, at least you're lucky you don't live in Victoria. You know, I haven't had Robinson knocking on my door for uh, Saturday afternoon beers and barbecue yet, so you're probably safe over there. That's worse. I'm in Delta, so I keep getting these calls like, hey, I'm in the neighborhood. <laughs> Right on. Well, that's a good uh, introduction. Thanks for doing that. Now, we do have these listener questions that we are going to put you guys to the test. Uh, yes. The FI community is a lot of very smart people and they do their research and they dig into these and they throw, you know, curveballs. They're not, these aren't, we're not lobbing softballs at you today. So <laughs> thanks to all our listeners for throwing them in there. Uh, Chrissy, would you like to start off with the first one? Sure, I will. So the first one is from Harrison 
and he commented on our Facebook page. And so I'll start off by introducing it. He, he gives a bit of background. So let's, let's read what he says. I want to see if I can even pursue the Smith maneuver at this point. When we got our house six years ago, we only put 5% down. I understand you need 20% down for a mortgage that you can use the Smith maneuver with. At what point can you change your mortgage to start implementing the Smith maneuver? Is it when I have paid 20% of my principal on the mortgage? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the initial crack at this really briefly. There are a lot of different situations out there with a lot of different mortgages. And this is why it's so important to enlist the services of someone like Keaton, who's a Smith Maneuver certified professional uh, on the mortgage broker side, because they know what products are valid for the strategy, which products are most suitable for the client's uh, individual situation. If you just go into your bank and say, hey, I want you a readvanceable mortgage, then they're gonna tell you what they have. It's gonna be their readvanceable mortgage. It's either gonna work or not, but it may not be the best one for you specifically. But at any point, the requirement is, yes, generally 20% down in order to have a mortgage which will start to readvance. I'll, I'll hand it over to Keaton here though. So there's two real answers to this question. There's when can I have a mortgage or convert to a mortgage that will be allow me to implement the Smith Maneuver? And then there's the other side, which is at what point can I start the process to be set up for the Smith Maneuver? In order to implement the Smith Maneuver, you need 20% equity and you need a product that readvances. So you can't get that when you put 5% down and buy. But there are lenders that allow us to set everything up correctly day one. You buy a property 5% down, we set up the right charge on title, we get the right type of title insurance, we go to the right lender and we get the right product. It just doesn't start working yet. So <laughs> in Harrison's case, you would need to make sure you paid down 20% before it would make sense to switch because I'm going to venture a guess that Harrison didn't stumble into all these things that have to be set up correctly by chance. But if you're in a position where you do it right, you can be ready the moment you have 80% equity. If you didn't do it correctly, then the best bet is to you know, just do a little bit of a guesstimate to see when you're getting close to 80%. And then sorry, Keaton, you said um, 80% equity. I think you meant 20. No, sorry, 80% uh, loan to value. Sorry, we use the, on the lender side, we always refer to loan to value. But when you have 20% equity in your property, a little bit before that's probably when you want to start looking at these things so you don't end up wasting five, six months. Okay, so if you had set it up properly at the beginning for it to transition into allowing the Smith Maneuver to happen, then what would happen at that point once you re reach the 20% equity? So you would still need to go to your branch or call into your banking and essentially trigger it. But okay. um, it, it gives you the ability to do it without redoing your mortgage, re-registering with a new charge on title and it's as simple as basically asking for it. They're probably going to do some sort of verification, but then it mm -hmm. begins. Okay. And then if you hadn't set it up, can you change your mortgage midway through your term? Or do you have to wait until your term is complete before you can transition it into a Smith Maneuver friendly mortgage? Sadly, nothing simple in our industry. If you <laughs> were online and shopping rates and talking to multiple brokers and you ended up in what's called a limited product there's a chance that you cannot break your mortgage until your term is up. The only way you can pay off your mortgage is if you sell your property. So if you fit into that category, you would have to wait until your term is up. If you didn't have a limited product, then there's at least a conversation to have with a mortgage broker about, does it make sense? Because you can break your mortgage and pay the penalty and get the right product. And that's where we do a cost benefit analysis to see, does it make sense? And quite often it doesn't. And we just, we put the plan together, we get ready and we wait and that's okay. But 
almost as often as it doesn't make sense, it does. And there's situations where maybe someone has a mortgage at 2.8% and they can break it and get a 2% mortgage and that interest savings will cover the penalty and they get the right product to begin the Smith maneuver right away. So it, it depends on your situation. The best thing to do is just reach out to someone who does this a lot and ask. And so that leads into his final question. He, he does ask, how do I know if I paid enough principal to qualify for the proper mortgage? But that's basically what you're saying once you reach 20% uh, equity, correct? Yes. The thing to remember, though, is it's not 20% of what you paid. If the property's gone up in value, you can do this sooner. So if you bought a property for 800000 it's gone up to 900 then you don't need to wait to have paid down 20%. It can be the combination of you paid down 10% and it went up 10%. You're still at 80% loan to value at that point, and you're now eligible for the right product. That's a really good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's why, you know, as soon as there's an interest in implementing the strategy, it does pay to seek out an SMCP and, and ask the questions because not being a mortgage broker uh, oneself, there's there's a lot you don't know that, that a broker will. And you may be in a position to, to get going uh, sooner than you think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that answers this question, who should I talk to? Is it an SMCP, which is Smith Maneuver Certified Professional? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And that could include a mortgage broker, a financial planner, accountant. We've got six different professions that we're training up. Realtors, mortgage brokers, investment advisors, mortgage conveyancers, insurance agents, and accountants. But basically, people would write into info at smithman.net and say, I'm Darren from Delta or Susie from Surrey, and I'm looking for an SMCP to help me look at my mortgage. And so we'd put them in touch with an SMCP uh, mortgage broker. Would you help them decide which professional is the most suitable for their circumstances? Yes. I mean, typically, if they're starting out, I want to do the Smith Maneuver, but I don't know who to talk to first. Mm -hmm. Well, you Mm -hmm. know, generally, mortgage brokers are the pointy end of the spear here. Because if you don't have the right mortgage product, the train doesn't leave the station. So Mm -hmm. it's generally uh, a mortgage broker who's, who's going to be the first point of contact. I just want to add in there, Robinson, you've mentioned it before, but this is across Canada too, because all of our uh, audiences spread out across this great country of ours. So just uh, so everybody knows out there that this isn't just West Coast focused. Yes, that's right. It's it's a nationwide network we're putting together. Yeah, fantastic. All right. Question two. You guys did great on that. That was some good answers. Even I learned something very yeah. valuable. So that's yeah. awesome. Okay. So a friend of the show, Megan, also from a Facebook post here. We uh, Robinson's familiar with who Megan is. We've met her at meetups before. Her question is a little more complicated here. She asks... Would it be possible to use a HELOC from an investment property to put a down payment onto a new property that the investor intends to live in, assuming the house had a suite the investor intended to rent out? So maybe I'll leave that. uh, Well, maybe should I ask the second part first? No, let's leave the first one. And go with that. What do you guys think? Yeah, sure. I'll tackle that. Is this the Megan I think it is? It is the Megan you think it is. <laughs> Hi, Megan. The one and only. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, nice to hear from you, Megan. So, would it be possible to use a HELOC for an investment property to put a down payment onto a new property that the investor intends to live in? Assuming that the house had a suite the investor intended to rent out. The thing to remember here, everybody, is that when I borrow money, the key point which determines deductibility is what did I do with that borrowed money? If I borrow to consume, so buy a car, buy fancy dinners, go on vacation, or buy my principal residence, I cannot deduct the interest, right? The reason is 
you can deduct if there is a reasonable expectation of generating income. So when we are buying our principal residence, CRA says that's, that's a home where you're going to live. You're not going to be generating income from that. You're going to be living there. That's the whole point of the Smith maneuvers. We can't deduct this interest. Well, the Smith maneuver fixes that. In this case, we're looking at borrowing from a HELOC that's secured to an investment property. And some people may think, well, it's an investment property. In order to buy that property, I did borrow to invest because there is a reasonable expectation of generating income. I'm going to put renters in there. They're going to send me money each month. And yes, that's absolutely the case. Now you can deduct the interest on that mortgage on that rental property. But just because you have space to borrow from that rental property doesn't mean you can do whatever you want with that borrowing and think that you're going to still be able to deduct the interest on that because it is the use of the borrowed money which determines deductibility, not what is the security for that loan. So now, let's say I've got a $100,000 balance on my rental property and it's fully deductible. It's the mortgage on my rental property, but I access through a HELOC another hundred k and I go buy a principal residence in which my family is going to live. In this basic scenario here, the interest on that second $100,000 borrowing is not going to be deductible because you borrow to consume, buy your own house. So we've got to be careful what we're using the borrowed money for. Now, that being said, if we expand this more towards what the question asks, we now have a suite in this home. The family's living in this house, but we've got someone else who's living in the basement and they are sending us money each month. We're generating income. This is when you've got to go to your, your accountant and say, okay, here's the situation. I borrowed 100K from my rental property and really the accountant's not going to be hugely concerned that it came from a HELOC secured by a rental property because he knows that it's the use of the funds that determines deductibility. So he's going to say, okay, it's your principal residence. You've also got a suite in there. What's the square footage of your suite that you have the renter in? So he's going to have to do a calculation of how much interest on that borrowing from the HELOC secured by the rental property plus the mortgage that you get to buy your principal residence. There will be, again, talk to an accountant. I'm not an accountant, but I expect you'll find that there will be a proportion of that debt, both the 100K that came from the HELOC and maybe the 400K that came from another lender to buy the house. There is a portion of that interest which will be deductible, but the majority of it won't be. Okay. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up there. I was sort of reading through part two of the question where she talked about uh, income earning assets, but you, you covered that quite well. Mm-hmm. And the short answer I got from that is talk to your accountant. <laughs> Don't mess around with taxes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it sounds like, yes, a percentage of if there's a suite that some sort of percentage is going to work out that will be tax deductible. It's just a matter of doing it properly by the sounds of it. Yeah. And you, you do have to do it properly. You yeah. know, the CRA doesn't always come knocking, but if they do, you want to you be able to know what you've done and report it correctly. And I will say that the second part of this question, and Megan says, I know the HELOC can only be used towards income earning assets, and obviously the suite would be earning income, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. I just want to clarify here that a, that a common misunderstanding is, and I see this all the time, is people are offering advice on the Smith Maneuver, the general public, and they're saying, hey, don't forget, when you borrow to invest in order to be able to claim deductions, it has to generate income. It has to generate dividends. It doesn't have to generate income. It doesn't have to generate dividends. It has to have the reasonable expectation of generating income. So I can buy an investment asset, which hasn't traditionally sent out dividends or distributions or or interest, but if there's a reasonable expectation that it may, 
then I can still claim the interest. Because some, like for example, mutual funds, some equity funds, they don't they won't have a policy of paying out dividends, but that's not to say that they may not in the future. Right. Yeah, that's a good point to make there. So many people assume that they've got to go out and buy dividend stocks to yes. do the Smith maneuver, and it's just it's not true. No, mm-hmm. the universe of, of qualified investments is vast. It's not just dividend producing uh, stocks or mutual funds. For sure. All right, Chrissy, you're up next. Okay. This is from Andrea, also from Facebook. She says, my husband and I have a bit of a complicated story because we're Canadian expats living abroad and have a home in Canada and are moving back to Ontario next year. So she asks, I guess this is probably good for Keaton, which banks actually offer readvanceable mortgages? Most of the big banks will offer readvanceable product, but that's not really the right question. Okay. The right question is which banks offer readvanceable product that will work for what my needs are. And a perfect example is one of the big banks with three letters in it. They have a product <laughs> that allows you to, it's readvanceable, it allows multiple components. The prepayment is where we get caught up. They only allow you to make prepayment once a year on the anniversary date. <laughs> so if you plan on using, like if you own investment properties, an example, or you want to accelerate the use of the Smith Center, it will not work for you. At least it, it will not work in an efficient way. It will be very difficult to do it correctly. So it's it's not all just about do I get the right product in the sense of is it readvanceable, but has someone actually looked at what I'm going to do with it? What complexity or use of the funds and the borrowing am I going to have? And does this product actually work for me outside of it's just got the right name? Okay. That's a very excellent point. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. It's making me second guess the readvanceable mortgage I have now. <laughs> going into property investment, going, hmm. Does it start with three letters? No, it doesn't actually. It has four, so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> All right, well, this, this question gets better, Chrissy, so keep going. Yes, okay. So she says, what do we need to have in order to qualify for the readvanceable mor- mortgage? So she's asking this in terms of jobs and income. So that depends, once again. There are programs out there that if you are very fortunate, you can fit under net worth programs. An example is I have one lender that you can buy either a residence or an investment property. You can put 20% down. You can get the readvanceable product on either the rental or the residence, and you require a certain pool of funds on top of your down payment that is greater than the mortgage. So they have a calculation where they say they want to see down payment and additional net worth you've had for over a year equal to the mortgage amount. So it's a maybe answer. But if you didn't fit into that net worth program, then yes, you would need some sort of income and it can't be solely from real estate. Because if a bank labels you a professional real estate investor or a professional landlord, it is the kiss of death. <laughs> and it's something we do a lot to skirt with our clients and make sure they're in a position where their income is usable. I have a quick sort of follow-up side question to that, just about the net worth qualification. Would that include registered assets like RSP and TFSA as that pool of funds, or is it would it be just um, margin? TFSA is 100% of assets. RSP is 70% of the worth of the assets. Okay, okay. But since you mentioned margin, if it's in a margin account, they will not use it at all. Okay, interesting. So these are some of the things to look out for, and this is a lot of what we do is going over this and seeing where does it fit. Mm-hmm. And there are other net worth programs as well. They just have different uses. It's interesting. I'm just going to keep going with this a little bit, Chrissy, because I think it's interesting. We've talked a little bit about this before. For the financial independence community, 
people may find themselves down the road in a position where they have a lot of net worth, but they don't have a good T4 income. Yeah. So there's going to be some interest there in it. And I was, it's interesting to hear what Keaton said about that. I think that's an important thing for people to understand. And the cool caveat is one of the lenders that has a net worth program will use real estate assets as part of your net worth. Hmm, okay. But there's all different policies and products. And it's just a question of which one do you fit with? And the odds of you walking into that lender are usually pretty slim. I wanted to get more specific with Andrea's question. She actually gave us a little bit more info about her situation. I'm just wondering if you could give your feedback on it. So basically, like she said, she's overseas right now. And when they come back to Canada, she's saying that her husband will likely find a job right away, but she wants to take a bit of time off to spend more time with their kids. So she's just wondering if neither of them can find a job right away or doesn't want to, what kind of mortgage should they be looking for so that they are ready and can hit the ground running when they're ready to start implementing it. The challenge is that if you don't fit into a net worth program and you don't have the income to qualify, it doesn't matter if you're trying to get a 15% loan to value, you try to get $150,000 on a million dollar property. It's theoretically possible, but extremely difficult. So it would really depend on the overall circumstances. But if no one's working and you don't fit into the net worth route, it is a very uphill battle. And if they were to get jobs sooner, that would definitely help them. Yes. And the other thing to be aware of is if you're in a situation like this, the type of job you get and not what you do, but how you get paid is very, very significant. Mm. If you're paid a salary or guaranteed hours, they will use your income right away, potentially before you're even off probation. But if it's a commission base or it's not guaranteed hours or it's part-time, you will have to wait two full years before they'll use your income. There's lots of little things that are wow. sometimes worth having that extra conversation to figure out. Definitely something to ask in SMCP. <laughs> So she has a third question. She says, we're fortunate enough to have the money to pay off the rest of our mortgage once we're home and are hoping that we'll qualify for a re-advanceable mortgage so that we can pay off the mortgage, borrow the loan and invest the principal. What are the tax implications of doing this? I believe what she's saying, like in my book, I mentioned this one case where a relatively wealthy Canadian goes and buys a house. And then they, they say, oh, I have some investment assets that are valued at enough to pay off my mortgage entirely. So what can be done here, this is the debt swap accelerator, but on a grand scale, it's immediately eliminating all that non-deductible mortgage debt. You redeem the investment assets. You're of course going to want to look at taxation, but you redeem the investment assets for cash. In this case, I think the listener said their mortgage balance was $140,000. Mm -hmm. So in this case, if she's got that in investment assets, she can redeem $140,000 of assets and pay out the rest of that mortgage entirely. I mean, there's going to be a penalty to do so. So you'd want someone to look at that. And again, it depends on the mortgage product as Keaton was talking earlier. But in 99 out of 100 cases, you're going to be able to pay out that 140k non-deductible debt immediately and then get a line of credit, for example, secured against the house and borrow that back, right? So you borrow back this 140,000 that you just paid down and you go and buy the investments again. And this, this can happen in about a week or so, you know, we've got to wait for the trades to settle and all that sort of fun stuff, but sell the asset, pay out the mortgage, as long as there's that line of credit that's available and slapped on the side of the house, pull out that 140K and then buy the investments again. So you're still invested, but now you have, instead of $140,000 of non-deductible debt, you've got $140,000 of tax deductible debt. Great. So that does great things to your tax bill. Plus, you know, instead of having a whole bunch of years remaining paying non-deductible mortgage payments, that's gone. 
And so the tax implications really are on the end where you are selling off assets in order to pay off the mortgage. Is that correct? Well, yeah, there are a couple spots here. One is you may incur tax when you redeem the investments. Uh, and the second is you're borrowing to invest. So you're reducing your income, you're generating tax deductions. So they're somewhat offsetting, not necessarily fully offsetting, but uh, those are the things you want to want to have a look at. Okay. I did a calculation here. If, if I'm assuming she's got a $140,000 mortgage and she were able to get a, a HELOC at prime plus a, a half, that would cost her about $350 a month to service that, that HELOC, deductible debt. And just pulling a number out of the air, if her mortgage payment, while she maintains that $140,000 mortgage balance, and let's say it's $1,500 and it has been for a long time and it will continue to be so. Well, that $1,500 no longer comes out of her pocket. She only needs $350 out of her pocket. So the difference of $1,150 can go to invest directly each month after she's serviced the interest and she's no, there's no change in out-of-pocket compared to when she did have the mortgage. It's magical. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just, just uh, walk that back a little bit for me here. Mm -hmm. Are you suggesting that instead of the lump sum payoff, she, say, uh, invests that and then start the Smith Maneuver with the remaining 140 that's owed? No, there's there's a $140,000 mortgage balance currently. Yes. And if she's got the capacity, she can redeem investments and pay that out entirely. Then she right. reborrows it. Yes. To buy the investments back again. Yes. But what she's going to want to do is say, "Look, I've been paying 1500 bucks a month against that 140 while I had that as a principal plus interest amortizing loan. So I'm going to continue to come out of pocket by 1500 bucks." Because I was planning on it anyways, but now it only costs me three fifty on that interest-only line of credit. So I, because I'm going to commit to coming out with fifteen hundred, I have the difference of one thousand one hundred fifty to invest, which is much better than simply continuing to make a fifteen hundred dollar mortgage payment and watching that hundred forty k take years and years and years to go down. Sounds like I almost needed to dial up the accountant and get him over here for this show. We were getting into some uh, taxing and accounting questions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Chrissy. How much experience would you have after doing something 43,000 times? Quite a bit, I think. Yeah, well, 43,000 is the number of Canadians that PolicyMe has advised on their life insurance needs. That's amazing. I'm not surprised that so many Canadians have used PolicyMe. It takes just five minutes and they'll recommend exactly what you need and not a penny more. And if you don't need any life insurance, PolicyMe will tell you that too. I love that. Even better, there may be no medical exam or doctor's statement required for certain insurers with PolicyMe. Visit exploreficanada.ca forward slash PolicyMe to get your no-obligation quote or book a call with one of their advisors anytime. All right, next question is from Kevin, uh, also submitted to us via Facebook. And I'm going to do a little bit of intro to this question just in case people aren't familiar with what Coast Fi means, because that's part of his question here. And just briefly, Coast Fi is when you have accumulated enough assets that you can no longer contribute uh, to your savings and investments, and those assets themselves will grow to your financial independence number, typically by traditional retirement age of 65. But so the number is going to be different for everybody, but that's sort of the basic principle of what Coast Fi means. And, and until you get there, you just have to support yourself. That's right. Yes. Thanks, Chrissy. That's an important Just cover part, your yes. living expenses. So you might exactly be part time work or uh, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got that out of the way. Kevin asks 
can I use the Smith maneuver to get me to financial independence in combination with Coast Fi slash semi-retirement? So his situation is, we are long-term renters with a good head start on our financial independence number. We are risk tolerant and have no problem leaving the readvanceable mortgage open long-term. We would like to soon buy our first, but forever home. And he says, if we were to then slow down on our FI path, but instead use our mortgage payments and the Smith maneuver to get us the rest of the way there, could that work? So I'm taking that as he's saying, uh, as these investments grow, as he's converting that mortgage, does it work? What do you guys think? There's a lot of variables in here. There's a lot of information that I don't have. How old is he? What's his mortgage balance? All that sort of sort of fun stuff. And, and in fact, I had Chrissy send over some clarification points as well. But the end result of a question like this is, what does the Smith Maneuver add? I have no control over what his current investment portfolio is is at or what it's going to grow to over however many number of years. So I kind of had to to make my own assumptions here. And I think he asks firstly on what if I have a $500,000 house? If he buys a $500,000 house and he implements just the plain Jane Smith maneuver, so no accelerators on it, then one of the assumptions here, the facts apparently, is that he has $500,000 invested already and that will grow over time. So hopefully to reach his goal, plus throwing in what the, the Smith maneuver is going to add in here, what's the difference? Well, I, asked, I used the amortization period of 25 years. That's the timeline I used here. So if he's got $500,000 invested, and if it does 6% growth over 25 years, well, he's hit his mark. That'll be $2.23 million. Now, I realize he may not actually have 25 years remaining until his retirement point, but, but that's a, a value I simply don't have at this point. But in any event, simply re- leaving that money invested over that period of time at that growth rate will be $2.23 million. If on top of that, we do the plain Jane Smith maneuver with his mortgage, because we have to remember that if he buys a house and doesn't implement the Smith maneuver, that's going to add zero value to his portfolio. But if he does implement the Smith maneuver with his house, then he'll add $226,000 to that previous total I told you. So $2.23 million will increase to $2.56 million. Perfect. If you follow here. But again, not knowing his full situation, there's another option here. If he does have this $500,000 invested, he's got the opportunity to do what we were discussing before, is redeem some assets, buy the house outright with no mortgage, and then slap a HELOC on it, pull that out, and, and get invested again. Yeah, that makes sense to just go through a refinance, make it work. So the second, the last part of his question here, he says, what percentage of our financial independence number could be tied up in the Smith maneuver and still make our plan feasible? And I think you made a good point there without knowing more details about his specific situation. We don't know what percentage that's going to look like at all. No. Um, so yeah. No, kind of- basically, I think what he'd want to do is say, okay, how old am I? How much do I have invested now? How many years left till I want to retire? And what's a reasonable growth rate. And so take what he's got invested now, apply that growth rate over that number of years, and he'll get a total value of that portfolio at that point. And then he can go into the Smithman calculator and plug in the numbers for the mortgage side of things and see what value that ends up being at the same growth rate, same period of time, and just add that to what, what he would have with his existing portfolio. Right. So his Smith Maneuver investments are going to be leveraged, but the rest of his investments are not. 
So he's asking, how do you account for that when planning for financial independence? Account for that in, in terms of actually accounting? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I don't think that's what he means for that. I think he's kind of looking at it as, you know... A net worth? I think it's kind of like a network thing, right? Because you go, if you've got the investment portion of it, you have to offset it with the leverage that you're still carrying, right? Or the, yeah. the borrowing of the HELOC you're still carrying. So Yeah, and that's what the Smithman calculator does. It'll punch out a total estimated portfolio value after the amortization period that you input. But the fact is we have to subtract the amount of the deductible investment loan because we're converting your existing mortgage from non-deductible to deductible. So we're essentially maintaining your total debt. We're just converting the nature of it. So it punches out, okay, let's say your portfolio will be worth $1.5 million, but when we subtract the $500,000 investment loan, your total net is $1 million, right? And so that leaves you a net benefit of $1 million plus a clear title house, because if we have 1.5 in assets, we sell 500 of them to pay out that investment loan. We now have a million dollars in portfolio value plus a clear title house. So um, what I got from that is uh, he should go to smithman.net and uh, have a look and maybe sign up for that, your Smithman calculator, because I've used the calculator and it's pretty fantastic what you guys did with that. And for people that want to really examine their individual situations, it's a good sort of DIY starting point. Yeah, it's very easy to use. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's pretty powerful. And then you get to throw in various accelerators and see what the results are. A lot of sensitivity yep. you can run. All right, Chrissy, let's uh, keep on moving here. Okay, so this one is from Twitter from someone named Another Looney. And they ask, how do interest rates work for readvanceable mortgages? Does it have two rates or just one rate? If one, typically how much higher is it than a regular mortgage? Keaton, go. You have to wake them up. <laughs> so there are two components to a readvanceable mortgage. There's, well, at the minimum, there's your main mortgage component that is amortized being paid down. And that is going to every month you're going to make a payment. And then that the principal you pay down is then going to become available on a line of credit. So comparing the mortgage component to the line of credit component, typically the mortgage component will be cheaper. As an example, right now, you may be looking at about 1.9% on a variable rate for that. The line of credit component is going to typically be currently 245 to 2.95%. So there is a difference. But the one thing in what they asked was, ah, how much higher is it than a regular mortgage? So I wasn't sure if they're asking, are readvanceable products more expensive than non-readvanceable products? And the answer for that is typically no. It's about the same price interest rate-wise. Well, that's interesting because I thought, I mean, my own misunderstanding is that they were a little higher rate. You couldn't get as good a rate as if you just went sort of straight variable without the readvance portion, but I stand corrected. You can get a cheaper product that's non-readvanceable if you go like the no frills or limited route, mm. but that's not so much that you're then comparing a limited product to a normal mortgage or readvanceable. So there, but yes, if you were looking for the absolute bottom cost, then a non-readvanceable mortgage will be cheaper. But it's because you're selling your soul essentially, and you can't break the mortgage, <laughs> and prepayment restricted, and penalties are often larger. So you want to read the fine print on those. And and to that point. You know, a lot of people are naturally very, very rate sensitive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when they, when they look at implementing the Smith Maneuver, they're so rate focused that they say, well, why would I take this readvanceable mortgage at, at 2.1 when I can just go to my bank and get a mortgage at uh, 1.99? Well, you have to remember that, firstly, 
either you're getting the right mortgage, which will enable you to generate four, six, eight, one point one million dollars of net benefit in the future, or you're not getting the right mortgage. So you, you got to suck up that rate differential. And it's not that much in the grand scheme mm -hmm. of things if you're going to be increasing your net worth by you know six or seven figures. Yeah. And secondly, even if your your bank, the one you've been dealing with forever, even if they have their own, I mean, we touched on this, but even if they have their own readvanceable, and even if it is slightly has a slightly lower rate than the one that a, an SMCP broker is recommending, there's a reason for that, right? There's going to be a lack of functionality in many, many cases. Prepayment allows a lot of different things that Keaton touched on. And you're not necessarily going to be made aware of all these restrictions when you're sitting down with, with the bank mortgage specialist whose job it is to sell that bank's mortgage. So if you have someone who's Smith Maneuver experienced, you really get those nuanced details and the, you, yeah. you get the right answers to all your questions. That's right. And I know there have been many instances where Keaton has lost business because he said, you know what, what you can get right now, what you're looking at, that's the one to, to go with. So we look out for the best interests of the clients and it's not like we're just trying to slam mortgages through the door. It's, it's about servicing Canadian homeowners so that they have this opportunity to increase their financial security the most effectively possible. And if that means losing out on a mortgage, you know, a, a broker like Keaton is, is happy to do it if it's in the best interest of the, of the client. That's great. Just to go back into the question, there was one in the middle that was, does it have two rates or just one rate as far as readvanceable mortgages? I'm assuming there another loony is wondering, does the HELOC have one rate and then the mortgage portion have one rate? Yes. So the, the amortized mortgage rate is typically lower. The HELOC rate is typically a prime plus 0 0.5 type rate. Okay. So it'll, it'll be based on prime, whereas the mortgage rate will be potentially a fixed product or a variable product. But yes, there are two different rates and two different payments. Okay. And then the next question that another, another loony asks is, what happens at the end of your mortgage term if you have a readvanceable mortgage? Is it possible to switch to a different lender? Would you need to sell your investments to switch? At the end of your term, you can move to another lender, but this is where it's important to make sure that you work with the right people. If I have a client who's in the middle of the Smith Maneuver and they're changing lenders and they have deductible debt, I always, always, always want to make sure they work with a lawyer who's knowledgeable about the Smith Maneuver, ideally an SMCP, because there's a certain order of operations to do this in a correct way. And I'm sure Rob can touch on this a little bit as well, but you can do it wrong. Yeah. Sorry, you just woke me up there with your silence. <laughs> It, it is important to do it right. Now, there's a difference between, you know, if you are just switching lenders and you're still living in the same house uh, and all you're doing is having the uh, the line of credit component on the new mortgage, the new readvanceable with a different lender, pay out the line of credit balance on the, the old mortgage. Still, it has to be done right. You have to know what you're doing. But it gets a little more complicated if you're selling your home and moving into a different one. And this, again, is where you need people who, are, who know what they're doing and particularly notaries or real estate uh, lawyers, because there is, like Keaton said, an order of events, but it is possible to transfer the deductible debt you've generated on the house that you're currently selling onto the house that you're you're now going to be buying. Just needs to be done properly. Yeah, and you don't have to sell your investments, if even if you switch lenders. No. All right. Another question from another loony is, what are your thoughts on using your HELOC to invest? Like once every few years, you pull out some amount of money to put it in the markets. What are the advantages and disadvantages of this when compared to the Smith Maneuver? You know, there's a lot of discussion on dollar cost averaging. Most of it is for uh, DCA and some of it against for various reasons. But 
we've, we've got to consider the fact that if I start the Smith Maneuver process and it turns out I have $1,000 to invest on a monthly basis, from January to December, I'm investing 1000 bucks a month. If I'm waiting a year before I pull that money out, then there's 11.9 months that I'm not invested. So I'm missing out on that compound growth. So at, in December, now I have 12,000 that I'm gonna pull out one lump sum and I'm gonna invest it. So you're investing one large chunk of money at one period of time and the markets are either gonna be up or down at that point. So with the Smith Maneuver, you're, you're putting a smaller amount aside sooner, a thousand bucks a month, your dollar costing, uh, your dollar cost averaging in, and you're also generating tax deductions starting month one, rather than waiting to generate tax deductions at the end of the year or five years or however long you, you decide to wait. So it, it eliminates trying to time the market and it takes more advantage of compound growth by doing it little chunks at a time on a monthly basis. And from what I see, when you just pull out of your HELOC to invest, that's just leverage investing. Whereas if you pay down your mortgage and then it re-advances into your HELOC and then you pull it to invest, then that is the Smith Maneuver. Yeah, there's a big distinction here. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Smith Maneuver makes equity available as fast as you're paying it down, right? So as fast as you're paying down your bad debt, you can borrow back to invest. So your debt isn't changing. If I've got a clear title house and I go slap a HELOC on it and pull money out to invest, that is just simply leveraged investing. I'm increasing my debt. With the Smith Maneuver, we're not increasing our debt. We already leveraged when we bought the house. That's when we leveraged. Now we're just converting the debt. But the way that I read the question was, you know, do I build up available credit for a year or every few years and then pull that big chunk out and put it in the market via the Smith Maneuver? Like just instead of pulling it out like I could once a month, I wait and let that available credit grow uh, or do I do it once a month as the program's designed? All right, we'll move on to the next question. Another one from another loony. What's your opinion on using your home equity to purchase rental properties instead of investing in the stock market? My opinion doesn't really matter much. You know, (laughs) in in the end, it doesn't. I used to be an investment advisor. I used to be licensed. I gave that all up when I sold my business uh, in order to write the book and get out to the masses here. I stay away from providing investment advice whether it be in securities, mutual funds, stocks, ETFs, anything like that, or even investment properties. That is the arena of, you know, the Smith Maneuver Certified Professional Investment Advisors, right? And other types of professionals who take a look at who you are. What do you understand? What do you feel comfortable with? Where are you in terms of your life? Are you married? Are you single? How old are you? There's tons to go through when we talk about knowing your client, the KYC rule in the investment world. So, me providing any advice to someone who all I know is their Twitter handle, um, (laughs) you know, I stay away from that. And even from my own personal point of view, you know, I can say, you know what, I personally, I'm not talking about you now, but personally, I'm going to invest in real estate all day long rather than the stock market. Well, I don't know if, even though I'm protecting myself, I don't know if you're up the street from me living in the same market environment, or if you're in Newfoundland living in a completely different environment. Right. So it's all about investing what you know about, investing in what you're comfortable, investing once you have a conversation who can help guide you and make sure you're on the right path for the goals you want to achieve. Right. And Keaton may have a different answer. I mean, of course, he's going to say invest in real estate. I'll sign you up another mortgage. Right, Keaton? (laughs) (laughs) Not necessarily. Rental deals get trickier and trickier. They can be the bane of our existence. But I think it's an option worth considering. That's my answer. It's an option. Yeah, it is an option. 
And we have to we have to remember as well, like we all know about diversification and someone who's brand new to investing. So maybe they don't have anything invested in, in the markets at all, but they own their own home. Well, they're already invested in real estate, right? So so now maybe it's time to diversify. And once they build up a significant portfolio of securities, something smart, maybe at that point go into rental properties. There's a whole bunch of different answers to this question. Yeah, that's a tricky one. Uh, very personal. Yeah. Okay. So the final question from another loony is, is there any size of mortgage that makes a Smith maneuver not worth it? For example, if you had a million dollar mortgage. Uh, if you go upwards, generally not. The bigger the mortgage, the more the potential of the Smith maneuver. I personally, at least as a broker, maybe it's just me being lazy, <laughs> but if you've got a $25,000 mortgage, is it worth going through the effort of setting all this up? Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Rob probably has a different opinion, but for my end, is it worth the eight hours of your life to set it all up? Maybe not. But generally speaking, no, There's the, the size doesn't really matter. I guess it would depend, Keaton, on if there's any dollar value where lenders would no longer extend a readvanceable. $30 million mortgage. Like I'm sure if you had a monster of a house. <laughs> yeah. But for regular Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a good answer. All right, point taken. <laughs> Moving right along. I've read this question over a couple of times. I'm just curious what your response is going to be. It's from F.I. Squirrel. Uh, I know that's the Twitter handle. Thanks for sending that in. And they ask, what is the best way to optimize fixed portion versus line of credit portion of mortgage in order to take advantage of today's low fixed rates? This is a really, really loaded question, believe it or not. <laughs> okay. Now, there's a trick called the Fraser Finagle, which is in the book. And it talks about locking in line of credit portions into amortized mortgages to get a lower rate. Yes. Now, you can do that with variable products. And as long as you've had the discussion with your accountant and you've, you've gone through all the steps, it's a pretty simple open and closed decision about the, your, you know, your cash flow monthly is going to change, the interest you pay is going to change, and you're going to start paying off the debt. But this question reads, today's low fixed rates. And people need to realize that as mortgage rates go down, penalties to break mortgages go up significantly. So there, there's much more to this question with whoever's asking in a sense of, is there any, and I mean any chance that you would pay off this mortgage or break it during the term? Because hypothetically, if you did this, say, on $200,000 and you go, great, you know, I've got a 1.9 fixed rate. But all of a sudden you pay off this mortgage and you've triggered a $28,000 penalty. It was the worst decision you're ever going to make compared to the interest savings of just not having done it. So when people do this, I typically lean towards going the variable route because then it's a three months interest penalty. And if you have to exit the strategy for whatever reason or pay that mortgage off, the cost of doing so is very minimal. Whereas if you go with a fixed product, you can really, really do some damage. Great answer. Yeah. So again, it's personal situation. You know, you got to speak to someone, say, this is where I'm at in life. These are the potentialities, you know, what's best for me? As with everything in personal finance, it's personal. And the best <laughs> answer is it depends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. One last one here, Chrissy. Yep. This is from Family Money Saver on Twitter. And they ask, what is the worst case scenario with the Smith Maneuver? That is, what can go wrong? COVID. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're getting invested. You know, if I have a mortgage and I'm not converting it, I'm not getting invested, then then I have zero market risk. But 
with the Smith maneuver, we're getting invested, whatever that market may be. Again, securities, real estate, et cetera. Markets go up, markets go down. We know that very well. And if we accept that upon implementing the Smith maneuver, the fact that this is a very, very, very long-term strategy really flattens out that market risk curve. We're going to see highs, we're going to see lows and back again. But someone needs to be ready to invest in the market or you know, maybe hopefully they have been invested for a while and they understand that. But markets will go up, markets will go down. And it's the same with rates. You know, Keaton will be able to speak to that, to rate risk a little better than I. But if I'm not doing the Smith maneuver, I just have this amortizing loan that I'm paying off over time. I've got rate risk in the fact that there's a rate on it. And, you know, that can be mitigated, fixed versus variable. Again, that's for Keaton to talk about. But now when we're implementing the Smith maneuver, we've got a rate on that non-deductible amortizing side. We also have a rate on that line of credit side. And that's traditionally a variable. And so that's going to float with whatever, whatever happens in the economy. So we've got rate risk with the Smith maneuver. But again, because this is such a long strategy, long-term strategy, that risk curve gets flattened out. We have to remember too that my father developed a strategy back in the mid 80s when interest rates were in double digits, right? 12, 13, 14%. And if the strategy didn't work, with those rates, we, you know, it wouldn't be around today, but it trundled on and pushed right through and it was beneficial for clients. There's a number of reasons for that, why it can be still be positive net benefit with high rates. I won't go into that, but anyways, yes, rate, rate risk, poor investment decisions. This is what I've seen, seen a lot. People decide that they can handle the investment component themselves and they end up blowing themselves up. It happens. And no matter how much, how many times you tell someone, you're not a dentist, don't pull your teeth. Well, they understand that. <laughs> you're not a doctor, don't pull out your own appendix. Well, they understand that. You're not an investment advisor, don't invest by yourself. Bah, I can do it. I can do it, right? That's a big one. That's what goes wrong a lot of the time. And another big one is lack of diligence. The Smith Maneuver requires on a monthly basis, just like you go online to pay your credit card, just like you go online to pay your phone bill, go online to do your mortgage transactions for the Smith Maneuver. But sometimes you know, people fall off because the Smith maneuver is not exciting. It's boring, right? <laughs> it's long-term wealth accumulation, but you got to make those transactions on a monthly basis. So you got to stick to it on a monthly basis and also over the long term. This requires stick-to-itiveness. It's not making millions of bucks drop of a hat with a spin of the roulette table at Vegas or something like this. This is a long-term program. So commit to it and stick to it. And that's when we see the results. Just like any investing. Yeah. It's long-term. Slow is steady, steady is fast. <laughs> so can I throw throw a scenario in there? Because we're in COVID times. What happens if someone loses their job and can no longer make the payments on their mortgage, whether if it's a Smith Maneuver mortgage? What happens then? That sounds to me like one of the worst case scenarios that you could imagine. Firstly, I'll let Keaton answer this, but we have to remember that whether you're doing the Smith Maneuver or not, you're not coming out of pocket with any additional cash because it's the regular mortgage payment the increasing efficiency of that regular mortgage payment, which is servicing the increasing interest expense on that line of credit that you start borrowing from. So it also doesn't need investment income to service the interest. So it might be a little more complicated than for today, but in any event, if you're doing the Smith maneuver or not, if you don't make your mortgage payment, you know, Keaton will be able to tell us what happens there. But with the Smith maneuver, don't forget that it's not like you're you're, you're having to come out of pocket with more money each month than if you weren't. Yes, you're right. So Keaton, over to you. So it, it would depend on 
is it a short-term issue or a long-term issue? As I think everyone knows now, mortgage deferrals are a thing. The interesting thing is the deferral program is not new. COVID did not lead to the creation of this. This has been around for quite a while. This is part of CMHC's program to minimize defaults. But the biggest thing to remember is that if you reach out to your bank and say, I am in trouble, I need help, they will help you. If you miss two or three payments and then you say, I am in trouble, I need help, they will not help you. <laughs> so it's a big part of it is if you do find yourself in financial duress, you can drag things out a long time. Interest only is an option on your amortized portion. There are The banks can re-amortize your mortgage. There are lots of solutions available if you're proactive and you realize, hmm, I might be starting to get into trouble financially because maybe I've lost my job. And the sooner you reach out and start asking for help, the more help you will get. That's great to know. I didn't realize that this was not a new thing to be able to ask for help from the banks and get some support that way. Well, luckily, Chrissy, all our listeners have an emergency fund and they wouldn't be in that situation, <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, what an awesome show. Thank you, gentlemen, both for coming on. Please, as we close up here, Robinson, why don't you start us off and let our listeners know where they can get a hold of you and where they can learn more. Mm -hmm. www.smithman.net is the website. We decided to not call it smithmaneuver.net because nobody, nobody, nobody can spell maneuver. <laughs> nobody <yeah>. including me. <laughs> um, so it's www.smithman.net. The email to reach me at is info at smithman.net. Go peruse the site. We're not just selling a book, a calculator, or a home or a course there. We've also got FAQs, a whole bunch of uh, media uh, interviews, including the past Explore FI interview that I did with you folks. So there's a media page. Listen up, there's more information and decide if it's something that you want to pursue. And you don't have to buy the book. You can go to the library and check it out if you want to save yourself 25 bucks. But get the information, acquire the knowledge, reach out. There's people to guide and, and assist no matter where you are in the country. And uh, we'll take it from there. Fantastic. Keaton, how can our listeners uh, find you if they're interested? The best route would be to go to Rob's website and uh, reach out to Rob and then he will direct you out my way. But if you do want to learn more about my business partner and I, you can find us at www.abmortgages.ca. Yeah. And if you do reach out to info at smithman.net because you're looking for Keaton, please say that you are looking for Keaton, that you uh, heard about him on this uh, podcast. Perfect. Well, Chrissy, did you learn something? I learned a lot. <laughs> there's a lot to learn. <laughs> I did too. I thought we knew some stuff about the Smith Maneuver, but it turns out there's more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? I'm learning new stuff every day too, especially talking to bright guys like Keaton. I'll tell you what. Fantastic. The interesting thing about our industry is it just keeps changing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Keeps you on your toes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll catch you listeners next time on another episode of Explore FI Canada. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks a lot, Keaton. And... Robinson. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. If you've been getting value from our content, please support us in the following ways. One, leave us a review and subscribe in your favorite podcast player. Two, tell your friends and family about us. Three, use our referral links at exploreficanada.ca forward slash recommendations. All of our show notes can be found at exploreficanada.ca. You can also find us at our own blogs, figarage.ca or eatsleepbreathefy.com. Today's episode was edited and mixed by Max Desmarais with episode transcripts provided by otter.ai.